Before we begin today's episode, we'd like to play humble tribute to L.J. Petrov of Entombed, Entombed AD. I mean, the impact that he's had on death metal all across the world with both the albums, Left Hand Path, and of course, later on with Wolverine Blues. I think till today, you hear bands trying to replicate that sound. Your music will not be forgotten. Rest in power, L.J. Petrov. Hey, hey, welcome to Horns Up. I'm Animesh. And I'm Peter. And we have a friends of Horns Up joining us for this special episode. It's a voice long-time listeners may recognize. And Aditya, Rao, Urf, Toila, why are you here with us today? Hey, hey guys, uh, thanks for having me over for this really special episode. And uh, the reason that I'm over is because of who you're interviewing today. Uh, one of the... Uh, Extreme Metal's old guards, one of the legendary vocalists, uh, Carl Willett, who is now in memoriam, but also known for his extensive work in uh, Bolt Thrower. And I'm a huge fan of all those bands. So yeah, this is like a really special occasion for me. And I, I can't th- thank you guys enough for having me over for this. Okay, you know where to send the money, no? <laughs> Haha, yeah, yeah. Money and merch. <laughs> money yeah. and merch. We accept in kind. Do you accept Google Pay payments? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm giving Google Pay a shout out. Sponsor yeah. us, bitches. Anyways, this one's a lengthy, comprehensive, no holds barred chat with the one and only Carl Willits. So let's fucking go. Okay, we are recording. So no swearing. Don't say fuck or bugger. <laughs> Right. I'll try really my, my children have just left the room so it's okay <laughs> <laughs> so I'd like to welcome to Horns Up the pioneering voice of death metal as I would like to call him Carl Willits hi Carl how are you doing today pioneering guy eh? that's uh, highly uh, highly praised uh, yeah great nice to speak to you guys at uh, Horns Up Metal it's a, pl- uh, a- a privilege and a pleasure to speak to you uh, this evening from my home here in Birmingham in the UK, where it is uh, most pleasant. Spring is upon us and the creation and life is around us. So it's all good. It's all good. All good. And uh, yes, I'm looking forward to speaking to you guys uh, about Memoriam and our new album. Hurrah. Yeah, we're, we're totally kicked about it. I mean, uh... When, when this opportunity came our way, I was like kicking myself or pinching myself that, hey, this may actually happen, right? <laughs> uh, but, you know, just to go back to the start of Memoriam, right? I mean, the band started as a tribute to your friend, uh, Martin Kitty Kearns. I mean, the drummer of Bowl Thrower. And the idea was just to play covers as I've read it. But, you know, think, thinking back all these years, I mean, did you think that when you all started off that five years later, you all would still be making music and having released four albums? Yeah, it's all gone terribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we started off with very small aspirations, really. All we wanted to do was um, just have a bit of fun, really. You know, inject a bit of joy back into uh, our lives, which we all go through a pretty you know, dark, painful time. You know, losing mine was a savage experience, which you kind of never get over, really. You just got to learn to live with it, you know, and... Um, you know, that kind of like that theme of death and sorrow and mourning is something that kind of like permeates throughout the first three albums in particular. Even more prevalent as of today as well, as of the news from yesterday with the loss of LG. You know, that was, you know, quite a, you know, we knew, we knew he was ill, but, you know, it was quite still a, a real shock to uh, to the world. And, yeah, it reminds you, it kind of, it puts you in touch with your humanity and uh, reminds you of your mortality in many ways, doesn't it? You know, and it makes you um, realise that you've got to, you know, enjoy your life and just live it to the full. As LG did, you know, he kind of, he, he had a great, you know, he's a, he's a, a massive character, a good, uh, you know, great human being, uh, lovely to be, be around, full of joy and um, and goodwill and, and, and humour. Humour was just, was this his driving force and, yeah, you know, I, I had pleasure of meeting several times, and uh, and uh, yeah, he'd be sorely missed. But you know that, that is a, a theme which is recurrent throughout the uh, the, the topic of of, 
memoriam, you know, and it's kind of that's how we started off uh, from that beginning, just to try and inject a bit of uh, a bit of light into another otherwise kind of dark place that we were in at that point. And, you know, the idea was just to kind of like, you know, have some fun, go to the rehearsal room with our mates. You know, jam some old punk rock covers that influenced us to want to be in bands in the first place. Maybe do some local shows in Birmingham, maybe release a seven inch single. But kind of it all got a bit out of control. And, uh, and um, uh, I blame it on Scott. Scott ruined it all by coming up with all these, these songs that uh, were originals. He kind of said, well, you know, that's a great idea, but I've got these songs. Do you want to have a listen to these? And, you know, if you, if you, you could have a go at doing them if you want. You know, and basically it all, it all kind of like avalanched from that point onwards. And, yeah, uh, you know, five years on and four four albums later, here we are, you know. So uh, it's it's kind of grown and developed at a, an alarmingly fast pace. Um, and we've enjoyed every moment of it. It's been, it's been great fun to do. Uh, so we've maintained the kind of ethos of why we started it in the first place, which is, to have some fun and enjoy what we're doing. Uh, we're all very aware of our, uh, our age, uh, life, and, uh, and we're trying to basically trying to achieve as much as we can uh, while we can uh, and enjoy as much of life while we're doing it while we can. So that's really the driving force behind Memoriam and, and what we're doing with the band. And uh, we don't, don't tend to dwell too much on the past you know we, we kind of we pretty much like band that likes to strive and move forward that's why we've recorded four albums in five years you know this last album being the starting point of a new journey for us a new trilogy of albums which we've got planned so there's there's life and a future for memoriam going forward as well for the next two or three years planned so uh yeah it's exciting times really exciting times for us and uh we're having a great time doing it so let's get a little bit more into depth about the uh, upcoming fourth album, right? To the end, which you, which has also been described in press notes and previous interviews as the joy of life brought through death metal. Yes, indeed. That's, that's a phrase. That's a yeah, phrase. It's, 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 it's a pretty philosophical description. Yeah. It's, it's a phrase that, uh, that I often refer to. It's, it is a joyful experience. Um, doing this okay so can you elaborate a bit more on that yeah you know i mean we're very priv privileged to be doing this yeah we're, i've been in this doing this for 30 odd years as you well know and uh you know if you'd asked me 30 years ago whether i'd, I'd be you know when i was 21 you know, if I'd still be doing this at the age of, you know, 54, I think I am, uh, I'd have probably laughed at you and said, there's no, absolutely no way, you know, and uh, here I am, you know, doing it. So we are very honoured and um, privileged to be able to be doing this at this point in our lives. And, you know, that's all really down to, uh, you know, our tenacity and, our, you know, the, the, our will to proceed and carry on and, and, and just basically, you know, defying the odds and not wanting to give up and refusing to give up and retire because there's nothing else that we really would want to do otherwise really oh, we just yeah. enjoy doing it uh, so why should we um but yeah it's a testament to the to the yeah, fans and support that we received throughout the years as well yeah we, we are very aware that without that support and without that kind of like backing that we have off our of our, our fans, friends, followers, whatever you want to call yourselves, um, you know, we, we we really appreciate that, you know, so, so we kind of, we are full of gratitude for that. But yeah, a celebration of life through death metal is, is something that um, I think has come with with, with, uh, with age, you know, it's, it's with age and experience, you, you tend to kind of look back and, and on your life and, um, you know, a lot of you, such as yourself, you've kind of kind of grown up listening to the music we've, we've created. So we all kind of feel we're kind of pretty interconnected in that kind of respect, you know, and uh, I think the people that listen to Memoriam have pretty much come, majority do come, have grown with us and gone on that journey of life through us. So they've been through all their own individual ups and downs and had their own joys, their own sorrows. And we can all relate to these kind of experiences together. And uh, I think... This album now marks a turning point in many respects. The last three albums were born from that place of, of, of despair and sorrow and grief and mourning of the loss of, of, um, of Martin. But, you know, we, we've, and we explored those themes throughout the, the first three albums. The five years on, yeah, the, the pain's still there. You know, it's, it's something you learn to live with and you get on with and uh, it becomes part of who you are. But now I feel we feel that, we are in a point where we're a little bit more optimistic and um, hopeful for the future. 
I think maybe that could be a product of the experience what we've all gone through for the past 12 months, the whole uh, experience of this global pandemic, which has um, sweeped the world and uh, changed our lives, everyone's lives uh, in many, many ways. And, uh, you know, last March, the, the world ground to a halt and life as we once knew ceased to be. And uh, we've all had to come to terms with that and deal with it in our own ways. You know, it's been quite an isolated experience for a lot of us. We're just connected to our own immediate family. So we've lost kind of a lot of contact with our fa- our, our friends and, and, uh, and people like that. So, you know, so this is um, born from that experience of uh, that kind of um, isolation and, and, and fear of, of, of everything around you. You know, it's just what's going to happen. Uh, and so we're looking now, we've, we're coming towards the end of that. You know, I think we, we're now starting to that point where there is, you know, vaccinations going on on a global scale and there is a reduction. Uh, who knows if it start, it may start again, but, you know, there is generally a feeling, uh, an anticipation of things will change for the better and things will return to a semblance of normality, whatever that may be. Uh, and, um, yeah, I think this, this new album has got a, a feeling of hope to it a bit of um you know a, a kind of like a looking to the future rather than reflecting in the past to a certain extent that's also reflect, reflected in the in the artwork behind us i think you know i think that's clearly defined in that with the last three album covers you know always followed the central theme was always the coffin of the fallen leader the fallen hero whoever that may be to you um and for this album, this new start, this new beginning, this new trilogy that we put together, the the, uh, the central focus is this leader figure who's very much alive. You know, he's not in the coffin. He's not being carried across a, a battlefield. He's not lying in state or being interred into the ground. He's very much alive. This is to the end. This is the final point of his life, basically. This is the, the big battle which he goes into, leading his troops, which penultimately leads to the first album, which is for the Fallen, which he dies in this battle. So this is the end point of his life to the end, hence the title. And um, so this trilogy of albums we've got lined up, the the, the idea behind it is to kind of experience life. You know, so I I kind of refer to the previous three albums as the death cycle trilogy. This is going to be the life cycle trilogy. So we're going to visit specific points within this central leader's life uh, throughout his life in a reverse battle pattern so it's kind of like a bit it's a bit star wars it's kind of I've got a bit george lucas on you uh, but, um, but you can see you can see visually as well it's a lot lighter than the previous album because there are there's that the orb there the green orb that kind of that kind of reflects and symbolizes life in many respects and of course there's light in the background which is kind of you know, almost the kind of the light at the end of the tunnel that we're going towards, you know, and ending towards uh, reality and a new, a new reality, a new uh, normality. So, so yeah, so that's that's really in a nutshell where the themes and the um, joy of life comes through. We kind of are all. I think we're going to come out of this a lot better as people. I'd like to think so. Anyhow, I'd like to think that we're kind of going to be a bit more appreciative of the things that we've we've uh, we've we've missed and um, embrace and engage one another as individuals and collectively uh, in, a, in, a, in a much stronger way uh, com- yeah, as a community. Um, so yeah, but who knows? Who knows? What one one of the one of the issues that I, I can I've, you know thought about is the fact that because we we're all so isolated, we've kind of gravitated in our own little insular ways to the little groups that we know that that support our beliefs, our systems of belief, you know. So we've become a little bit more, we, yeah, we all live in echo chambers, don't we, to a certain extent. So we don't really engage with anyone that doesn't think or believe or in the same way that we think. So it's going to be a bit of a shock to the system to come out of this and start engaging with people that are even in a divided world, in a very polarised world that we live in politically, socially, culturally. Um, we are becoming a little bit more so because we are totally dependent on social media for our only point of communication. So it's going to be interesting when we get when we enter the real world, how those those kind of like the the, you know, the discourse is going to kind of interact with one another. So um, yeah, 
interesting times that we live in. You know, it's it's um, unprecedented, isn't it? You know, so uh, let's let's see where it takes us. Eh? I I at least uh, at this point echo your feeling of optimism and hope. But you know, you kind of talked us through the whole thing about uh, to the end, right? I mean, it's the first album of the new trilogy, and you talk about it, but. So I want to know, I mean, since it's talking about the life story of the leader or the king from the previous trilogy, uh, are the next two albums for the trilogy already planned or written out? Because, uh, you know, you mentioned, and I'll, I just want to add one more thing. You've mentioned a sense of optimism fueling the band. Will this translate onto the next two albums from the trilogy? Yeah, definitely. I think we're in a good place uh, with the band. I mean, I think, you know, it takes a few years, whatever, you know, whatever your background is, you know, I've been doing it for a long time, but whenever you start a band, it takes a while for you to formulate your own sense of identity and, and what you're trying to achieve with the band. Of course, we've got that added kind of like level of expectation on people, of people, you know, we're expecting us to be like a certain band or not like a certain band. You know, and that, in a way, that's the kind of discourse, an, an argument that, you can never win, you know, because good people going to criticise you for being sounding too much like X or sounding not enough like X. Yeah, so we, we you can't ever win that battle. So we, we kind of like we just basically kind of like concentrate on what we want to do, focus on what we want to do, and, and just do our own thing for, for ourselves. You know, if, if other people kind of like what we do, and that's just a bit of a bonus, really. So it's good. But yeah, so we've since we started, it's, it's taken a bit of a while for us to gel, you know, and find us our way. We've tried, we've always wanted to try and test and do new things. We never wanted to just become, you know, a carbon copy of what we've done in the past. That would have been quite easy to do in many respects. You know, we could have just got a five piece band together and just churned out a load of, of uh, you know, cover versions of the bands we've been in previously and people would have loved it, you know, but that's not what we wanted to do. We wanted to create something new, something different with its own sense of identity. And it takes a while for you to develop that, I think, regardless of whether you're starting from scratch or you've been doing it for 10, 20 years. So I think for the first couple of albums, we were kind of like exploring kind of a, the, the ways in which you wanted to go we you know obviously some things worked some things didn't work so well but that's that's the nature of of what we're trying to do you know and we're prepared to do that we're prepared to like have an experiment and try different things and i think with the last album in particular uh requiem for mankind i think we found it i think we found that the, we defined ourselves as a band um uh, i think the missing piece of the jigsaw for us um was parlor studios and and the um the addition of russ russell into the equation he really uh has a, a deeper level of understanding as to what we were trying to achieve and um with his assistance i think we definitely kind of found the the blueprint of what we wanted to do and we could have quite easily gone out and uh, with a fourth album, just replicated that and done another uh, Requiem for Mankind, which would have been fine. But we wanted to keep on pushing and trying out these new ideas and testing out different things like we've done from the start, which we have done. You know, we totally have done with this album. And that's the key to the difference of this album. We built on the success and the confidence that we've got from doing this for such a, a long time, four or, five, four or five years now. And we've, created something which is a step up from the, the last album because you know it's i think the key to this new album is um the word diverse it's very very diverse more so than any other album that we've done in the past we've tried out different things but this time around um we've tried totally different things things we've never done before you know for example there's a song on there um called each step one closer to the grave which is a big epic doom metal song. Never done that before. Never done that in 30 years. Never never had the opportunity to do a doom metal song before. I love, love that. I love Trouble. Love Candlemas. Love all that stuff, but never had the chance to do that. So it's brilliant to have the opportunity to do that, you know, after being in the music industry for 30 years, try out new things. Of course, we've, we've paid homage and uh, deft reference to my favourite band on the planet, which is Killing Joke 
with the song Mass Psychosis, which is a massive curveball. And it's really, it's really confused quite a lot of people, that one has. <laughs> I didn't really expect that at all. And um, uh, a lot of people have said, well, yeah, especially the Germans. Well, what, what is this? This is not metal. <laughs> and uh, so that's been quite entertaining, getting the response on that one. But yeah, a lot of people love it. A lot of people say that's their favourite track off the album. In particular, um, Shane, Shane from Napalm, he came down to the studio when we were recording and he had a listen to it. And that was his uh, favourite tune off the album. Yeah, he's a big Killing Joke fan. So, uh, but as am I. So, uh, and then, you know, they've got the last track for, for, for me. That's my favourite track off the album, the As My Heart Grows Cold, which is a big melancholy epic tale of life and for no forgiveness and the things that you've all been through in life and we can all that resonate with us all you know we can all relate to those experiences and uh, it's a great way to end the album so yeah there's there's lots of twists and turns on this album which which kind of takes the listener through a journey if they can be bothered to listen to the whole thing which is really annoying when people don't <laughs> you find that these days you know people just pick one or two songs off the album they put it on their spotify playlist and just pick one track or two tracks that's what not that's not that's what an album's about it's about listening to the whole thing in its entirety we've worked hard to make it as a, as a story and uh it's quite annoying when people do that i think people's attention span has decreased over the past 20 years <laughs> but yeah it's been a pleasure to do you know and and um it is a step forward you know one, one of the one of the main elements of of change with this new album uh which enhances it is obviously our experience and you know that are doing this in our confidence but that's also added to the there's, there's many different layers there you know involved in this this uh construction i think one of the other main inputs the main uh, differences which made it what it is is the fact we've had plenty of time to write it as well you know we had pretty much nothing else going on for last year you know uh, so we had plenty of time to focus on this album and no with no distractions usually we were off doing shows every other weekend or rehearsing for shows so when it comes to doing an album it's pretty much you know say about six to eight weeks before you go into the studio, then you start to concentrate. But we were doing it for six months, you know, previously throughout the year. So I think the fact that we had plenty of time to prepare, it gave me a lot of time to, to work on the lyrics vocally and change them around to how I was happy with them. I've been into the studio, I went to the studio and did a, over at Scott's house and uh, we demoed the vocals, which is something I've never done before. You know, never had that opportunity to do so, you know, and, uh, so all these different elements have all added up to make the album what it is. I think one thing I failed to mention is the fact we've got a new drummer. You may have noticed. And uh, again, he adds a different layer. You know, no disrespect to Whale. You know, Whale's my best mate, always will be. Um, but Spike brings a different interpretation to the uh, the drum patterns and the drum songs, the drum, drum tunes. Uh, and um, all these different factors make the album what it is you know and it is definitely a step up for us and um i'm really looking forward to the world getting to hear it and get the uh the uh varied feedback that i'm anticipating <laughs> yeah i must say i mean i'm glad you brought up the doom track because while i was listening to the album i actually thought like i there was something wrong and I went back and I was like, wait, is there something wrong with the MP3s? Is it not encoded properly? So yeah. the album slowed down to, to, to yeah. 16 RPM. <laughs> Honestly, though, that that one particular song, the, the song at the end, that one was my favorite track of the album. Yeah, I thought it ended it off on a perfect note. Absolutely. It would yeah. take a better man than I. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great way to end the album. And, you know, we're going to move forward with this creativity that, we're, uh, that we've created with this album. You know, we definitely are on a roll. We've got that newfound confidence. We've also got this, um, you know, Spike joined the band. You know, he's, he only joined the band about six to eight weeks before we went in to record the album. So um, he followed a lot of the drum patterns that we kind of worked out Previously, so obviously the next album, he's going to have a lot more impetus input into the creativity of it from a drum perspective as well, which I think is really going to work really well and uh, enhance what we're doing with the band again, pushing it to another level. So, um, yeah, in particular, that last track, um, "As My Heart Grows Cold." There's one particular drum 
solo kind of towards the end of it, which is incredible. It reminds me of Rush in many respects. And um, yeah, so he, he definitely brings something else to the music and he's going to be more actively involved in the, the songwriting process. So yeah, I can really see us pushing forward with, um, with that, with his jazz infused drum style. Nice. <laughs> <Lots of> swing. <laughs> so, you know, we've talked a lot about To The End, but, you know, we're not Spotify, but we're heard on Spotify. So I'm afraid we'll have to ask you to pick one track to play on this podcast. Which one should we play and why? So, yeah, play uh, Failure to Comply, which is one of my favorite punk rock classic songs. Song. Uh, yeah, which has a lot of meaning to me. You know, um, interestingly, you've, you've, seen, you've probably seen the way the uh, what it's all about. You know, it's about the whole Black Lives Matter movement in uh, America and the murder of George George Floyd and uh, the reaction and, and the song itself, based on on, on actual real events. Uh, I say the actual sample at the beginning of the uh, the song, which features on the video as well, which was was taken by uh, one of my friends. He got arrested in the process of doing it. Uh, so, you know, it's quite nice the fact that, you know, we've got a, a nice video from it. And she had to do 80 hours community service for the better, for the benefit of it. So we've got something positive out of the bad. <laughs> I'll put a good spin on it. <laughs> so here it is.
Hey, hey, Carl. First of all, it's an honor to just talk to you right now. Uh, so this uh, question actually comes in from one of the listeners of the podcast called Dibangshu, uh, who is a big fan of yours. Uh, and uh, he just asked me uh, that, you know, a lot of your older work in Bolsover and even Memoriam sort of has an underlying theme of war and, as you said, despair and, and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, this uh, is a theme that has not been explored too much in death metal, uh, besides, say, some bands such aspects or, or hail or bullets. Uh, and you said in a previous interview that, you know, I'm always going to write something, uh, lyrics which have a war theme to them, right? So, you know, what kind of sparks this interest, uh, you know, this, these lyrical themes that you've written for, you know, majority of your career? Yeah, I mean, that's that, that's it. It's, it's, um, it's always a theme. War is always a kind of constant theme. And, you know, so I've been doing it for 30 years. I can, I can write songs, lyrics about war in my sleep. <laughs> really down. Um, and it was interesting, you know, with this new album, in Memoriam, I tried to I, I tried to make some kind of balance there. You know, I, there are three main strands to the lyrical themes that I uh, that I write about. You know, um, obviously that theme of war is is a constant. It's going to be there. It's to, to a certain extent, it's expected from me. So it's something that I. Uh, you know, I will deliver, you know, because it's something that, that people expect me to do. Uh, and also it, it maintains a, a thread of continuity throughout what we do, you know, so it's kind of links into the previous albums, you know, and obviously into my career, history of career as well. So so that, that element is always going to be there. That theme of war is a consistent um, thing. I think maybe to a certain extent, my, my, the way that I've, I've uh, approached it now with Memoriam is slightly different. Than in the past, I think now as I'm a bit older, a bit more confident in my ability and uh, less caring in about what other people think about what I say, um, that I write from a more of a first person perspective, for a kind of insider kind of actually involved rather than a third person outside of it. You know, so uh, historically I maybe have written from outside of the event but now i'm kind of trying to write more from inside that film to capture the feelings and emotions from within uh, i think that really works really well so that's theme number one which kind of features throughout what i write theme number two is is this political stance which i'll, I'll always maintain now it's something that i feel very strongly about you know i think i've just document quite well documented that i have a strong uh left-wing anti-fascist fear per, per, kind of like platform um i'm very concerned about the global rise of uh, nationalism and xenophobia which uh, is a plague a disease um which is infecting our planet worse than covid uh yeah we see it we it's see real it pandemic. Through. Absolutely, yeah. We see it in every nation, in every country across the world. You know, it's it's something that exists and is growing. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's important as a musician, as an artist, as a vocalist, to actually stand up and say something about it. You know, I think if I was to uh, ignore that what's going on around us uh, and bury my head in the sand, you know, then I'd be doing myself and the world a big disservice and an injustice. Because you know, if you kind of ignore it and turn your back, you become part of the problem you know, without trying to address the issues and try and, try and um, you know, force some kind of discourse or, or kind of at least kind of like put your flag in the sand and, you know, kind of like so people can rally around that and kind of like you know, kind of attract like-minded people to get in, in, emboldened in strength and give them strength and something to, to, to link to. Yeah, in the same, same way, it also pisses off a lot of people, which I'm quite prepared to do at this point in my life. Uh, so, yeah, politics is always going to be a theme that's concurrent and, and throughout what I do now. You know, I think in the past it was there, but it was a lot less overt than it is now. I think I, think I was mm. less, less willing to put myself... Um, in the in you know in, in the pulpit <laughs> or on the parapet or wherever you want to put me on the soapbox, um, yeah, I'm, I'm much more prepared to kind of like um, to kind of like stand up for my point of view and, uh, and the, what I believe in now. So I'll do that. So politics is is is, is, is theme and topic number two, which will always theme will uh, will continue throughout what I do. And the third, Fantastic. which is the, the third theme for me, which is the most important one, the one that I get take most joy from is the songs that I write are that such as As My Heart Grows Cold 
uh, are the songs about life in general. You know, I think that I can only really write those songs now that I've reached this point in my life, you know, 54-ish, I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, I can write from that perspective of life experience and, you know, both all the things I've been through, all the, the good times and the bad times. And those are the songs I take the most joy from from writing. And I think those are the songs that have got the most resonance and can relate, people can relate to. So there you go. Those are the three main themes that I tend to have my lyrical content about. And uh, it's important for me to kind of have some balance on the album to make sure that all those themes are visited and uh, none outweigh the other. So uh, that's what I've attempted to do. And, you know, I could do that with this album. Sometimes when you're recording, you know, and, and you're doing an album, the vocals always come last, you know, the music's first, and then the, the, I always write the lyrics to the music. So it's often I'm in the studio when I'm doing them, or it's a, a week or so before we have to record them. So first, second or third draft is what you get, you know, <laughs> whatever they are. Um, but this time around, I could I could work up to, you know, draft eight, nine, ten, you know, and change them around until I was entirely satisfied with them. And again, that's another contributing factor to why the album is so bloody good. So, uh, Carl, we were talking about your lyrical inspirations, uh, and uh, you know, you you happen to also have a degree in cultural studies, right? Uh, so, you know, how does that help you with sub subjects when it comes to writing your material? On my degree in cultural studies. Yeah. 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 yeah I mean, that's it. You know, um, I kind of like at school. I was never really focused on, on on school when I was at school. I never really kind of like achieved, you know, I think I left with, with very little qualifications. I had one, one O-level, I think, which was in European studies, ironically. Now we're in Brexit. Um, but um, so when I first started doing um, a bolt throw back in the day, you know, kind of when it was picking up, I kind of spent my time um, going to, further education you know night school part-time and doing all my a-levels and um and getting the qualifications we you know that we that we're required to go to university you know or just just really kind of uh you know getting myself a bit more educated really you know and um doing the subject that i kind of like enjoy which is like yeah things like sociology and and psychology those kind of like subjects and um you know so i did all that in in the early 80s where have you gone you disappeared oh, there you are uh there you go you're back uh stop recording um and um yeah so i did all that and kind of it was at a point really where uh the band kind of started to get a bit more you know busy and popular you know i did actually start doing a degree in sociology uh for to become a social a qualified social worker which i'm quite glad i didn't do in the end but um but yeah it was it came, that came at a point in around about the early 90s when the band was starting to get quite popular and, and busy you know doing gigs and tours so i kind of knocked that on the head so it's always in my back in my mind that whenever you know kind of things kind of like had the opportunity to do so i wanted to go to university and study uh something a bit more um you know kind of like culturally based you know uh you know kind of living in birmingham you know i'm kind of we've got culture all, all around us you know it's what for, for me it's what's uh living in a culturally diverse place is what makes life interesting you know if we were all very homogenous and all look the same and all did the same things then i think life would be incredibly dull uh and so it's all this kind of like this difference difference is really important to me i think that's that's what makes you know, humanity an interesting and exciting vibrant life form is the kind of acceptance of difference and and um and you know kind of like embracing difference you know, and taking the parts that of, of different cultures that, that you like and make it helps to make your own identity through that so that's really what i did when when i left um bot in 1994 something like that, five five i went to birmingham university uh, for three years and did a degree in cultural studies, which was um, kind of modern social theory and contemporary social theory. So we studied all the the old, old traditional types of uh, discourse regarding, uh, you know, kind of like socialism, capitalism, all those kind of different kind of discourses around that. But for, for me, it was all the contemporary social theory, which is all about deconstruction, critical theory, all those kind of things that, that were kind of really interesting. And in a way, kind of made sense of where my mindset was at and what the lyrics I was writing to privy. It kind of always put like a 
uh, you know, a kind of like a concept around what I was trying to write about in, previously. Yeah, and it's been, it was really helpful for me to kind of like formulate um, my my mindset, really, and uh, develop my ideology of, of life. You know, it was there previously, but I think going and doing that course helped me formalise these ideas uh, in, a, in a much more you know, kind of conceptualised idea. I learned a lot. Yeah, I learned a lot about the world around us. You know, I did various different um, modules within that, you know, such as, you know, Russian cultural studies, African cultural studies, and, um, you know, all these different kind of th- modules that made it what it was. You know, th- theories of, of race and gender and, and uh, ethnicity uh, all kind of added up to uh, to me kind of leaving there with a, a degree, uh, a two-one degree, a massive, massive debt, which is brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And uh, really, there's not a lot of work out there for um, deconstructive, de- deconstructive kind of critical theory thinkers. You know, unless I wanted to kind of immerse myself in further education and go down that kind of like track, um, there was very little kind of like to do uh with that degree it has opened a lot of doors for me it, it shows that you can study um and kind of concentrate and learn uh topics it's helped me you know socially and and, and mentally in my life it's uh very good in that respect it's given me a huge huge debt which uh, i've never really kind of recovered from but um luckily i've got to that age where it's written off now hurrah uh, <laughs> um you would but have yeah, been was, an excellent a, professor, Carl. Yeah, it, it, would, it, was a, it was a great, but ironically, ironically, learning to deconstruct social theory and, and kind of like um, question all forms of education and authority, uh, it did kind of lead you to the point of thinking that, well, you know, a lot of education is a lot of self-justifying bullshit. You know, and it kind of it made it created a whole kind of like a genre. I mean, the, the actual where I went, the, the Center for Contemporary Cultural Studies was very big in the 60s when there's all the student riots throughout Europe, you know, in Paris, uh, in England as well. So it's very, very at the forefront of left wing ideology. Um, so much so that when I left the course, um, the year later, they actually they shut the, they shut it down. <laughs> they shut the, the course down because it really it didn't create anyone that that, uh, that kind of had any real social use apart from um, criti- critical thinking and, and and tearing ideology down. Really, but yeah, as a lyric as a lyric writer, it's, it's provided very, you know a very useful useful basis for me to uh, to formalise my ideas around, and it helps very much. Uh, for me to kind of write write and I you use it quite often in my my writing technique you know you may not kind of overtly see that but it's it's there it's it's a a mindset that I've got which I found very very useful yeah I met some great people as well you know I met some great people was, you know I'm still in contact with a lot of those as well so uh all in all it was a very very good experience and um set me up okay for the rest of my life really so yeah I'm very thankful of my time at, uh, at Birmingham University it's a it was a great, a great period of, of life for me. Yeah. And uh, you were staying on the topic of like uh, culture. You are like one of extreme metals, like two old guards, right? Uh, so tell us in your point of view, how has metal, the subculture changed, especially with the advent of like internet streaming? It's very, very different now, isn't it? You know, from when it was when I first started out, you know, back in the, uh, in the 80s. It was all about um, you know, tape trading, you know, and you kind of like spend an hour writing a letter by hand and uh, posting it off to some far exotic country that you'd never heard of on the other side of the planet, you know, and uh, sending a demo tape off to them or to some kind of random kind of underground magazine not hearing anything back for maybe a month or two because, you know, that's how the postal system worked back then. Yeah, in the meantime, you'd receive all these random underground demo tapes from these, you know, kind of bands from all over the world, such as Peru, you know, Peru, uh, yeah, Scandinavia, you know, uh, all over the world. Yeah, and it was great. You know, it, was, it was a really life-affirming, um, rich time, really, where I think, you know, it just, it just felt that you, you kind of, you had to spend that, put that little bit more effort into doing it and be a bit more patient for things to happen and it did and because of that because you invested so much time into doing it it meant a little it was it was really really special you know i'm not saying that things are things are not special now 
but it's very, very different. We live in a, a time where everything's very instant. You know, everyone wants gratification straight away, you know, from or a feedback straight away. You can, you know, press of a button kind of responds to something. And uh, it means that the opportunities for people are a lot wider, a lot you know, easier to access kind of a global platform for your uh, for your material. But in the same respect, it's the same for everyone else, isn't it? You know, so rather when we were doing it, there were maybe like, you know, 100 or 200 or you know, maybe 1,000 people as it, as it grew, bands, you know, early days. You know, now there's tens of thousands of people doing it. You know, everyone can bloody well be in a band. And uh, it's really hard in that respect to kind of like get to recognition. It takes time. I think people don't, they don't kind of like, they expect to get recognition straight away as well. They don't expect to have to do some kind of like, uh, hard work and some apprenticeship we I, I think we did that you know we kind of like we built up a, a network of a following we kind of we played loads of local shows then we played a bit further afield then we played in europe and then we played further afield. yeah it takes time to develop that you know, i think people's uh, attention span and people what people uh, expectations are a lot more immediate now you know people think want want things to happen straight away and they haven't got the patience to uh, to make things work and not prepared to put the hard work in you know but generally speaking you know the quality will always rise you know the quality is always there if you've got uh something genuine and you enjoy what you're doing you believe what you're doing and you keep at it and you work at it hard you will you know kind of like rise and, and people will know start to notice what you're doing but it's not going to happen overnight it never happens overnight you know it's something that you have to work hard at and that's the main difference really between now and then um but you know i think what's what's kept the whole this the whole you know internet thing has kept the scene alive very much so it's it's um it's a thing where it's developed over the years over the generations you know it's it's um i remember quite strongly in the mid 90s where you know we kind of like kind of reached that peak of our zenith of what we were doing. I was you know, pretty much disillusioned and you know, left to, uh, to go to university, as I mentioned. But, you know, it was all around that time. There was a bit of a, you know, a bit of an implosion in the death metal scene. And there, there was a whole new wave of, of music that came through, which was, you know, first of all, there was grunge, which kind of knocked the whole scene to touch to a little bit. But as a reaction to that, there was kind of a, a scene called black metal, which came out of nowhere, really. Well, came out from Scandinavia, mainly. But, uh, but, um, uh, but yeah, and and I could never really understand that. You know, it was it just you know all this makeup and and guitar. I just never really, it's never. I never understood it. Never, never liked it. Still don't like it. But as years go by, and I get to this point in my life, I kind of like look back and reflect upon it, and I kind of, I kind of, kind of understand it now to a certain extent because it's, it's it's all reactionary you know it, it's something that's got to happen each generation comes along as i you know formulated my own sense of identity from the grind crust punk scene in the uk and we could went on to to, to do bolt throw and, and do that and develop this whole old school death metal scene whatever it was that's what happens you form your you, you formulate your own sense of identity through the things that have meaning to you so each generation has to come along and do something that's been something to them, which is usually in opposition to what's gone on before, you know, and that's the way, that's the natural order of things. It's got to be like that. You know, black metal, I don't like it, but that's irrelevant. It's not really for me. It's not supposed to be for me. I'm not supposed to like it. You know, it's for a different generation. It's what they believe in. It's like what they get their sense of identity through. And that really kind of happens throughout the decades. You know, genres come along, subgenres develop, different things happen you know you know kind of you got metal core whatever you call it you know and that's great you know i think that's in the big picture that's what keeps the scene so vibrant and so alive is the fact there's so much diversity in within it and so many different type, types of styles and sounds you know and people that people can relate to that, that that builds it to what it is and i think without that you know we probably wouldn't be able to be doing what we're doing today it's kind of kept it going you know in the old school death metal scene he's, he's very much alive today there's lots of new bands um doing you know inspired by what we've done in the past creating some great new music and, and interpreting it in their own way 
but also it's given the opportunity for all the people that were doing it in the first place to keep on doing it as well. You know, there's so many great bands, you know, Asterix and uh, Cancer and, you know, Carcass and Napalm. We're all still doing it and still enjoying it. You know, and I think without that kind of evolution of the scene, um, you know, that wouldn't be able to happen. So, yeah, I, I think that comes with age. You start to appreciate and um, understand uh, what's the different genres. You know, may not like them, uh, may not understand them, but, you know, that's not the point. You know, they're, they're there for a reason. I'll never like baby metal, though. I'll, I'll, I'll never accept that. I'm sorry. Pop <laughs> <laughs> oh, metal will never, they will never do for me. <laughs> They may be pretty, but that's not the point. <laughs> All right. So you talk, since you then talked about like recent bands, right? I mean, and metal culture. Uh, I've actually seen a picture of you from a live gig wearing a T-shirt of a band from here in India called War Marshal. War so, Marshal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great band. How did yeah. you come across them? And have you heard any other Indian metal bands? Uh, no, I do know there's quite a vibrant scene in India, uh, as there is across the whole of the, uh, you know, Asian Indian kind of continent, you know, um, Humiliation as well from Malaysia. They're kind of a, a band that I'm in contact with, with quite regularly, you know, and uh, War Marshal are probably the only, only band that I know of from India. And uh, the, the, my liking for them is really down to their constant um, harassment of me on a regular basis. Uh, <laughs> and sending me uh, t-shirts and CDs in the post. Uh, <laughs> uh, really, that's that's where it comes from. Uh, but yeah, they're great bands, lovely, lovely bunch of lads, and they're doing some great stuff, you know. And, and they're flying the flag really, really proudly for for the Indian metal scene as well. So uh, yeah, so it's great to see that it's a global, it's a global thing, isn't it? You know, and um, you know, it's almost going back to that kind of like full circle, back to the tape trading days to kind of feel that kind of global connection. Yeah, and that's what the internet can do. Yeah, we can talk like this now, you know, and um, it, uh, it it improves that connection, that connectivity throughout the world, and that's a great, that's a great thing. You know, for, yeah, for, for me, it's always been exciting and, and different and and great and, and affirming to know that the music that I kind of am involved with and help create, you know, touches a chord with people, you know such as yourselves, you know, or, or you know, all these different far-flung countries of the world. It still amazes me kind of when I get uh, merchandise orders from you know, a place like Greenland or, you know, uh, yeah, kind of like this barren waste with just ice. And there's a tea, you know, just, just, it still amazes me. I'm still very thankful for that, you know, and um, it's, it's, I say it's great to speak to you guys tonight. Uh, so, Carl, you, you had mentioned earlier in one of the interviews that read a long time back that, you know, you kind of en enjoy touring at a very leisurely place. You don't want to do like these constant eight weeks or ten weeks tour and stuff like that. But now, yeah. considering the pandemic and that you know bands have not toured for so long and are itching to play live, has your stance on that changed? No, <laughs> no, I'm too way way too old to go to, to kind of contemplate getting on a tour bus and going. Uh, on a smelly tour bus for six to eight weeks on an extended tour across one specific territory. Uh, I've got too many uh, responsibilities outside of the band, you know, to, to do that as well. I've got two young kids, got a full-time job. I've got a mom that's got uh, dementia. So, you know, my, my, we do this on our own terms and it, we enjoy it that way. You know, it does preclude our ability to go to certain specific places. So, you know, you know, with, with no disrespect, I doubt very much that we'll ever get to play India. You know, I doubt if we'll get to play South America. There are, there are territories which are probably beyond our means of doing it because it would take too long to get there. And the, the financial reward for doing it probably wouldn't be enough for us to do it. So that's the hard, that's the harsh reality of the economics of doing this. We, so we've got to pretty much going to do it on our own terms and do the odd shows here and there. But one thing I think that's come through this from this, um, this pandemic thing is, is this, the fact that because the whole nature of the world's changed and people are starting to do this live streaming thing, which is something we've been approached to do in the past. And we've, we've always kind of thought, well, you know, we're not going to do that. You know, it's, 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 it's a bit rubbish. You know, it's, it, the whole gig thing, the whole experience is being there. It's about the whole visceral experience of doing it. It's about the touch, the taste, the smell, the whole thing. And you just don't get that from, uh, you know, a T2D interaction. However, you know, the world has changed. 
you know, and I think it's definitely something that we will need to contemplate doing because it does open up the opportunity for a whole wider range of people that otherwise couldn't see you play a live gig come and see you. For example, if we were to play in France, for example, you know, we play in Paris, you know, and there'd be a few hundred people from Paris come to see us. But Paris is a massive country. You know, there's loads of people in the rural parts of the country that could, couldn't make it. Uh, it does just open up the whole idea of um, inclusivity as well. There's lots of people that otherwise couldn't come to a show, be that because they've got some kind of you know, physical disability or they've got some like, mental incapacity or yeah, the geographical distance where they live. So, yeah, I think live streaming is going to change the... Um, the actual, the actual kind of like the future of, of gigs. I think it's going to be incorporated within the kind of uh, within the kind of mindset of bands moving forward. And yeah, Asphix are a great example of a, a show that really, really worked well. That was a few weeks ago. Uh, that live stream was was great, you know. And I think that kind of like set a bit of a precedence uh, for that. So yeah, it's definitely something we're going to contemplate uh, moving forward. We've got to really wait until we get out of this COVID um, situation completely because we still are socially distancing uh, as a band so we can't really get together to rehearse to uh, to get yeah, to do a live stream but as soon as it kind of like starts to relax which we're anticipating you know around june time we're going to start getting together for rehearsals and then yeah I, i'd seriously contemplate us doing some kind of live streaming event which means the world will get to see us perform our new album which will be good excellent and that's it. We think you just have to embrace change, don't you? Really, and, and you know, kind of like roll with what's 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 happening around you. If if you don't uh, embrace the change, then you get you get stuck. You get stuck, yeah. and as human beings, we, we have to. So uh, life is all about yeah, moving and, and changing and adapting to the world around us. So uh, yeah, it's exciting and times. So uh, yeah, we have to adapt to it. Awesome. And just because it's you and the fact that you enjoy talking politics, and I'm sure you'd have a view on it, I had to ask, because the whole world is talking about it. What's your take on all that we are hearing about the royal family? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thanks a lot. (laughs) Come on. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's all a bit of a... um... Yeah, it's it's all a bit old school, isn't it? Really, there's there's so many different kind of like different aspects to the uh, the royal family. One, it's yeah, a bit of an outdated, outmoded kind of like system of of, of rule, which uh, you know kind of like. But you know, it, but it's got the heritage value there, isn't there? You know, there is the fact that p- people around the world look to the royal family, and it does generate a lot of income for tourism and things like that and yeah it's something to be proud of it's our historical heritage um but it is about a bit it does need a bit of a kick up the arse doesn't it you know and i think you know the uh that is it megan mark whatever her name is yeah i think she, she's injected a bit of a you know a bit of a challenge to the, the hierarchical structure that's existing so yeah i think that's a good thing you know i think it's 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 good to uh to shake shake the boat up a little bit sometimes and kind of like force a bit of change and challenge the existing uh status quo that's in place uh so yeah it's 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 it's, it's quite funny really isn't it really but uh, they are such so old old set in their ways that's the way it is, isn't it? You know, that's the way it is. They did cost a lot of money as well. So it cost a lot of money to, to keep them in place. But um, but yeah, it's it's a, it's a strange one. Um, I've got no real opinion on the monarchy. I wouldn't say that I'm a, I'm a, a pro monarchist or an anti monarchist. Really, it's just they just exist, don't they? They're just there, like a, like a bit of a parasite. <laughs> 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 All right. Um, so let's wind this down a bit and, you know, bring okay. it back to death metal and memoriam. I mean, uh, what's next for memoriam? I mean, when can we expect the next two albums from this trilogy? Yes. So, yeah, the future is bright. Uh, we are currently in the process of writing new material already. So, yeah, we, we're yet to release this new album. It's coming out on the 26th of March, but we are hot on the heels of... Um, of kind of getting together the next album. I think we're going to kind of, because, you know, we, we've, we've learned that we, we kind of we quite like that. Eight, rather than releasing an album every year, I think we quite like that kind of gap of 18 months that kind of works. That's worked for us quite well. 
uh, this time around. So I think we're going to maintain that. So I wouldn't expect another album next year, but maybe early, maybe uh, around about March the following year, we will probably we're probably going to follow this 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 schedule where we're probably going to the studio uh, October. Um, I don't know. We can see how it goes, but we will probably leave it because a lot of things to do really kind of we've had a big gap of having nothing to do so we've got a big load of things to do in that time so i would anticipate that we probably go back into the studio um october next year and uh, then release the album the following year so let's see how it goes we've got the ideas there that the, we've got six or seven songs on the go which scott's written already which i've heard which are good uh and um Will be interesting to see how Spike adds his um, his excellent drum fills to it as well. So so yeah, so it's definitely there's a good two or three years left in us to do the uh, the trilogy, but also the original concept when we got together in the first place was to do the bloody album of covers, you know, or, or you know some cover versions of punk rock classics which inspired us to be in bands in the first place. So, you know, all these bands like Antisects, uh, Amoebics, Axe Grinder, Sacrage, you know, all these bands that we want, you know, that, that we intended to kind of do cover versions of when we first started out, we still haven't done it. Uh, so that is still there in the back burner. So that's another thing that we're going to, I'll definitely, it's on the bucket list of things I want to achieve before I uh, I shuffle off this model coil. Uh, so yeah, I, I can see there a lot of things good happening for at least two or three, three more years. I can't see us doing this when I'm 70, to be perfectly honest. I don't really want to be, uh, we could be the Rolling Stones of death metal. Know. <laughs> yeah, but but there's there is a there is a limited lifespan to what we're doing. Yeah, we're not going to be doing this indefinitely forever. So uh, yeah, we're going to be doing it until we can physically. We're going to carry on doing it until we can, we can't do it anymore physically, basically. So um, so yeah, so expect a lot from us over the next three or four years. We're going to keep on keeping on, keeping on enjoying what we're doing and celebrating our lives through the joy of death metal. Fantastic. Awesome. Awesome. And- and, and coming to that, uh, finally, Carl, here's our last question. So after you know, 35 plus years, uh, what does death metal mean to you? Well, well it's everything really, isn't it? You know, it's uh, it's what all, all we know and all we love and all we can do, really. And um, we refuse to give up. We refuse to back down. <laughs> we, what else will we do? <laughs> we will never surrender. Absolutely, you know that's the, that's the thing. Yeah. You know, um, we're never going to get rich from doing it, but that's really it's not that's that's not and that was never in the equation to start off with. It's just something we enjoy doing, something we've always enjoyed doing, and something we want to con- keep continue uh, do it doing for as long as we can. And um, long may that continue. Horns up horns, to that. Horns up to that. Yes, horns up to that. <laughs> yeah. On that note, Carl, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for sparing so much of your time very graciously yeah, yeah, yeah. i hope you enjoyed this as much as we did talking to you absolutely it makes a real it makes a real change as well for me as well to to speak to to you know guys from india as well so it's been a pleasure to talk to you guys thank you very much for your time thanks for your support yeah, and yeah. um i wish you all the best for the future enjoy your time in goa when you go there as well have a have a drink for me if you do drink sure, uh and um you know thanks very much for your support and um Maybe our paths will cross at some point in the future. Who knows? For those of you wondering why Carl mentioned Goa at the end, well, that's because Peter's going to be partying on the beaches. Partying on the beaches? Partying with the bitches? What? I'm just going to be sipping on Feni and sitting under the sun in the beach. That's it. No partying, nothing at all. Aditya, what uh, metal should he be listening to in Goa? Considering uh, where he's going right now, probably like pirate metal because he's, he's just going near the seaside right now, right? So something like a running wild would would or uh, would serve him the best right now. I feel. I was thinking summer black metal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, like like. I but I think because you're like like drinking penny and stuff like that and and you know since pirates have this whole thing with drinking rum so you have the localized version of it in Goa so that, yeah I I think you would go for that. 
What metal should Peter be listening to on his Goa trip? Reach out to us and tell us. As always, we are at hauntsupport.com, or you can follow at us on Twitter. We are at hauntsupport. I am at Asmoani. Yeah, send all those drink recommendations to at trendcrusher. You can find me on Instagram also. You can slide in my DMs on there. Ooh, Aditya, what about you? Yeah, you can find me on uh, Facebook with my name as Aditya Rao. Uh, on Instagram as well as Aditya Rao and on Twitter as Aditya S Rao. Wow, I don't do Instagram, which is anyway. <laughs> this was horns up, horns up, guys. Horns up, horns up.